I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this episode, could the USMCA be on a path to yes? We're very encouraged to hear the Speaker of the House just as recently as this week talking about this as this is not a, a Republican trade deal, it's not a Democrat trade deal. If she brings the USMCA to the floor, it'll pass. Reports say that earlier this week, United States Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer showed significant flexibility in addressing concerns raised by the Democrats in four areas of the agreement. We'll ask the trade guys what issues remain. Plus, the EU braces for U.S. tariffs after a dispute over Airbus. The U.S. is threatening $4 billion worth of new tariffs on goods from the EU. The list includes products like Italian coffee, Parmesan cheese, and Scotch whiskey. The U.S. says the tariffs are in response to a 30-year-old dispute over subsidies for Airbus. You'll hear about all that and much, much more on this episode of The Trade Guys. Trade guys, you smacka is backa. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> smacka, come on, you gotta give me that one, Bill. All right, you smacka is backa. Uh, you get a, you get two chuckles. We won't that. have this nickname to kick around much longer. Okay, right. it's uh, a, certainly we will not have Nixon <laughs> to kick around much longer. <laughs> well, 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 okay. So tell us about that, Scott. Why why will we not have it? Scott has come around. I just want to report. Well, yeah, he's slowly yeah. coming around to my point of view on yes, this. Yes, look, this is a, this is a new move. I'm quite encouraged. Okay, uh, and what I'm encouraged about first, the process seems to have held together quite well. Uh, staff from both uh, the administration and Congress cooperated well over the break. They came back, and uh, immediately uh, the Congress Congress began uh, being receptive to the administration's proposal. The administration delivered a written proposal as they had promised, and people are working through this. So Chairman Neal and Ambassador Lighthizer have have delivered. The, the process elements of reaching an agreement on the Dem- House Democrats' concerns for changes to USMCA. So that's the bottom line is the process looks pretty good. They have not, at least the leadership has not permitted additional issues to come into it. So we're still working on labor, environment, enforcement, and uh, pharmaceuticals. And the Canadians and Mexicans? Are they? Well, the Mexicans have ratified. Yeah. Mexicans have approved. The Canadians are waiting for their election. And actually, this came up in a, a conversation a while back. Both of the two biggest parties in Canada have endorsed the agreement, the liberals who are in the government, uh, and the Conservative Party has also supported it. So if either of them gets a majority, I think the agreement is in good shape. So what Americans need to know is this is down to us. Well, more or Maybe. less. There, there is a danger in Canada that you could end up with a – there are multiple parties in Canada, more than two, uh, and it's a parliamentary system. You might end up in a situation where neither big party gets a majority and they need to affiliate with one of the small parties. Both of the small parties have opposed the agreement. So, so a, that could be complicated. And coalition governments are not unusual in Canada. Stephen Harper uh, operated as prime minister with with a minority of his own party for some time. So this this is actually an outcome that could could happen, but probably won't, and and probably ultimately will not be dispositive. While the Mexicans had already ratified the agreement, the government of Mexico was very transparent and supportive during the month of August as members of Congress traveled there, as uh, representatives of NGOs traveled there. So so it looks to me like the 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 government. 
government in Mexico is doing everything they can to to help U.S. elected officials resolve their concerns and get on with it. They're also visiting a lot of members up here, and they made clear to me they'd be happy to have more congressional delegations go down there and visit. And uh, Well, it's the, getting cold up here, so, you know. <laughs> It depends on how long it takes before they vote, but yeah. uh, there may be more visits, which would be a, a good thing. So far, I think it's on track, at least with my latest prediction, which is subject to revision, which is uh, they're still negotiating. Uh, this week's news was the House Democrats said, we're very happy that the administration said something back. Uh, we're looking at it. Uh, parts of it are very good. Parts of it are not so good. So there's well, going to be the, a back, are, and forth, well, back so, and forth. So what are Democrats happy with? They haven't said specifically. Uh, I think where they're getting closer is on the labor issues, partly because the Mexican government, I think, has, has done a, a very thorough job of, of trying to convince the House Democrats of their commitment uh, to actual la- genuine labor reform. Uh, I think they've made some progress on the general enforcement issues. The rumor is that, that the administration seems now be willing to accept uh, provisions that would that would not permit countries to block dispute settlement panels, uh, which is what we had insisted on before. Uh, I think the drug issue is still a little bit up in the air. There's been workouts proposed. Uh, I think the the dilemma there there's an obvious workout, which which is I think the one the administration favors, which is that basically leave it the way it is. But if Congress is ever able to change the U.S. law, which is 12 years of data protection, the agreement says 10, if Congress can change it for the U.S., then the others will change it, change theirs as well. I mean, this is one of those awkward issues where I think the people in the Congress that want to lower the, the data protection period from 12 years to some smaller number, I don't think they've got the votes right now. Uh, I think they'd like to use this agreement to help them get the votes. Um, I think Ambassador Lighthizer's point, which I sympathize with totally on this, was, look, the authority that we're using to conduct this negotiation, the Trade Promotion Authority bill, says we should make these agreements as close to U.S. law as we can. Well, this is pretty close to U.S. law. Uh, and what, that's what, what That's how the Congress instructed him when he got started on all this. That's what they told him that, to do. Right. And some of the complaints from the Democratic left has been, you know, you haven't gone as far as we want. And the administration's response is, well, we've gone as far as U.S. law Would permits. Allow. And yeah. if you want us to go farther, then you need to begin by changing U.S. law, not by changing the agreement. I think that's an argument that a lot of people will get eventually. So what are Democrats unhappy with? Well, Some of them are unhappy with environment. Yes. In fact, there was a new le- – this week there's a letter with about 100 – 102. 102 members of Congress, all Democrats, signing uh, that uh, – that is – it appears to demand – or, or strongly suggest, somewhere in the between demand and strongly suggest, that the administration include provisions regarding climate change in the USMCA. And the Paris Agreement in and particular. The, particularly recognizing the Paris Agreement and making uh, the things in the uh, USMCA binding to the commitments of the Paris Agreement. So A poison pill, if there ever was one, for the president. Yeah. And so this brings to the question, is climate change an appropriate topic to address in a trade deal? Well, that was my column last week uh, about. That's uh, why I'm asking. Uh-huh. <laughs> that forces me to remember what I said, though. That's a, I mean, a sneaky tactic. I think there's a danger of these things becoming solutions to all problems. Right. 
And one of the things that has happened in general with trade agreements is they used to be just about tariffs. And it made sense for them to be just about tariffs because tariffs were the big deal. Tariffs were high and bringing them down was very important. As tariffs have gotten lower and lower, I think our average rate now is, well, with Trump, it's hard to say. Before Trump, the average rate was below 3%. As tariffs become less less important, non-tariff barriers have become more important. So countries set up health, safety, environmental standards that are really trade barriers, you know, to keep your products out on the grounds that they are unsafe, unclean, or whatever. The problem with that is that basically it means that, that trade agreements now are focusing on less and less on how people do business and more and more on how people live. And governments are being told, you have to regulate your environment this way, you have to regulate your drugs this way, because that's what we want. Uh, That makes agreement much harder. So something that's already extremely complicated gets gets even more complicated, with the most complicated issue of our time. Yes. One of the presidential candidates, who shall remain nameless, uh, tried to put the Uyghurs on the table in dealing with China. You know, we, the Chinese are repressing their Uyghur minority. Right. This is a terrible thing to do. The whole world is condemning it. How you deal with that in a trade agreement right. eludes me. Right. Yes. Now, our agreements are comprehensive in scope, it, 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 and, and that encourages people to add their issues as well. But I think at the moment, with regard to USMCA and, and the, what happens this fall, I'm, I'm going to watch the leadership very carefully. So no, no members of the Democratic leadership were signatories among these 102 members. That's first good news. Second, no leader, specifically Speaker Pelosi nor uh, Chairman Neal, have said a word about the letter. Uh, but uh, you know, so ultimately, this comes down to real politics. So is this is this the squad? Is this that well, where this is coming from? Not necessarily. From? No, the it's, led, it's led by a freshman from California. Freshman from California. It's okay. a it's an, it's a different group of members, but but it's members generally concerned about climate and as as their major issue. Um, and it it is not it's not unheard of in the past for there to be pretty extensive demands by environmental NGOs that get picked up by groups of members of Congress. This has happened in agreements before. Uh, now, I, I used to work, you know, advocacy programs, say, from 2001 to about 2012, when these things were happening on the Hill. And uh, uh, it's one of those things. What we learned is there were always going to be demands at the last minute. But but you saw, the real politics says you separate the, the demands that actually move members from the ones that don't. And our experience throughout, and keep in mind, I worked on some some landslide victories like uh, the Central America-U.S. Free Trade Agreement, which passed the House by two votes. And it was the margin was that big because we managed some absences. Wow. <laughs> so in any case, so there were some 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 uh, cliffhangers. Uh, but but the the general rule of thumb is uh, organized labor is an important element because they're organized and they actually move votes for members. The environmental movement is one with broad general support, but at the end of the day is not dispositive in in members' uh, calculation as they approach the finish line of one of these agreements. Now, that may have changed. It was a long time ago since Congress did a a free trade agreement of any sort. Uh, Much of the Congress has changed since then. But this is the calculation that both the administration and the Democratic leadership will, will have to make. If they've got enough votes without this, these 102, then they move. 
They've also come a little bit late to the party. I mean, environment is one of the four issues the speaker has identified. So it, the, the the general idea is not a new one, but trying to toss the... Uh, the four the, issues the, the speaker identified for Bob Lighthizer. Yeah, for Lighthizer. Yeah. But trying to, you know, the train's leaving the station here and trying to toss the Paris Agreement on board uh, is not something that anybody has proposed for the last year or so. And it's it's not only an overreach, but it's too late. Uh, and sure. I don't think it's going to go very far. Yeah, if, any, if that calculation changes, the leadership will say so, and you'll know then they've, they need some votes. I, my sense is once this working group led by Chairman Neal chops with the programs that they've agreed with, uh, the modifications that they've agreed with the administration, Ambassador Lighthizer, at that point there's sufficient Republican votes uh, in the House and sufficient overall votes in the Senate for this thing to to move fairly straightforwardly. Okay, so what's the timetable we're looking at here? I'm sticking with negotiate in September, draft in October, vote before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I think everybody wants to finish this up in 2019. And at some point, you've milked all the politics out of it, uh, which is about when the implementing bill is introduced. So at that point, it's just we we just get it over with. I remember the back end's very short. Once Lighthizer and the group of Democrats finish negotiating, and if they have an agreement, uh, then it can't be once the, once that's submitted, it can't be changed. So once it's formally submitted, the process is r- relatively short. There'll be a House hearing, there'll be a Senate hearing, the committee will vote. It'll go to the floor it, within a day or two of the committee vote. They'll debate, and that'll be it. Adios, now is the long part. Yeah. Right. Well, you heard it first here on the trade guys. Both trade guys are in agreement. Looks like we're going to get you smacka coming backa right at you <laughs> in 2019. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, America. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> no turkey jokes allowed, all right? <laughs> all right. Let's move on to another topic, um, EU. Bracing for U.S. tariffs after a dispute with Airbus. What about it, guys? Let's start by pointing out that while the president gets a lot of haranguing in the, in the popular press for, you know, coloring outside the lines with his tariff proposals, this is one that worked according to the rules. This one is legal. This yes. one is one that followed every step of the rules of GATT 94, uh, right down to the appeals process and the and had all the referees. And so this is the one that worked exactly the way all of the president's predecessors wanted it to. So am I hearing this right? Our president is playing within the lines. In this case. Of course, it took 13 years, yeah, which tells a, you something about the process. Okay. Yeah. It, it is a process where there's been a longstanding dispute between uh, about civil aviation subsidies, uh, large commercial aircraft subsidies between the U.S. and EU. Think of it as Boeing and Airbus because it is a duopoly, and that's uh, what it amounts to. But after over a decade of legal wrangling, uh, the WTO appellate body determined that the United States prevailed in its arguments and was entitled to suspension of concessions if the the first option was for the European Union to to correct uh, the measures which were out of uh, out of compliance with its obligations. They've not done that. And so now we, we get to do what's called suspending concessions, which is a way to encourage the Europeans to get on with it. Uh, but that will that will amount to tariffs on... Estimated $10 billion. Um, the, what The last stage here is what, what happens is the other side says we've complied. The United States says we haven't. Then the WTO looks at it again, and eventually an arbitrator has to decide how much damage is being caused. Right. Caused. So it comes down to dollars and cents. The arbitrator's report is confidential. The leak suggests it was between five and eight billion euros, which means eh, ten billion uh, U.S. Uh, the administration has proposed. 
tariff increases uh, of up to $25 billion. So they got a lot to choose from. And I think the next step will be the United States whittling its $25 billion list down to the actual amount they're permitted. The EU is trying to head this off. They've been trying to head this off for years because they right. knew they were going to lose. Uh, they, they think the issue should be resolved with a negotiation, which may be the way it turns out, because one of the things that we haven't talked much about is there's a second case that follows this one. Because once we sued Airbus, basically, they sued us uh, for the U.S. having subsidies for Boeing, and both sides won. We won, and the Europeans won. They won against us. We got to the finish line first. Yeah, our, their case is six to nine months behind ours. So our retaliation gets to go into effect sooner. Now, I think that the way this is going to come out is that both sides won. We won more than they won, I think. I mean, I think we, we won in the sense that the arbitrator has found the European subsidies are of a much larger number than I think the American subsidies are. Correct. The Europeans don't agree with that, and we'll have to wait till February to see. But uh, the Europeans right now kind of have the short end of the stick because we are in a position of being able to impose legitimate, substantial duties on European imports, and it appears that we're going to, and they can't do anything about it. Uh, and they can't get even for six months until it's their turn. Uh, so they are a- very anxious for a negotiation. All the signs, Scott can disagree, all the signs yeah. I've seen are that uh, Ambassador Lighthizer wants to go ahead with the tariffs and yeah, I think this is going, suffer. Clearly, this is going forward. Well, to many of us lay folk, um, this could appear that the United States has fired its first warning shots at the EU's next trade commissioner before he's even taken office. No? Well, it has that effect. I mean, that's an accident of timing. I mean, this is, like I said, this has been going on for 13 years. Uh, nobody thought 13 years ago that it would come out in the fall of you know, right. a tra- commission transition. And uh, and our president was in the real estate business 13 years ago when this case was filed. So oh, nobody foresaw I didn't know this. That. So, you <laughs> know, it's was. one of those things. Uh, so so it, it, it may or may not affect. It certainly he is. He was in the real estate and TV business. Yeah, it was, it, but it is an yeah. atmospheric. You're right about uh, about uh, the new new EU trade commissioner. Right. And, and so, so are we setting up a tense relationship with our European allies? What do you mean setting up? We've had tense relationships for years. Yeah, but but I mean, are we, let me rephrase, are we ratcheting up a tense relationship unnecessarily? Yeah, I think so. I was at a session yesterday. I have to, I'm going to quote myself, which you shouldn't do, but- uh, I like uh, when you quote yourself. It's relevant because you opened the door. I went to a, a, a conference on basically- transatlantic relations that was mostly about uh, sanctions. But there was a European representative there. Uh, This was all off the record, so I don't want to mention who it was. But um, and part of his pitch was, we're nice people. Yeah. You know, and you think kumbaya when you think of the EU. Right. And I finally said, you know, when I think of the EU, I don't think of kumbaya. I think of Machiavelli. Yeah. And it's a fraught relationship. Uh, we ostensibly the two presidents, Juncker. And I mean, Trump, who are we supposed to be? The guys in the black cowboy hats, who are really, or, 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 or the or, or the black rebel motorcycle gang? I mean, come on. Look, there is a school of thought that, inter- particularly on commercial matters, that interprets the European Union as an entirely anti-American project. Yeah. Okay. Those voices are here in Washington. Sure. Okay. So the suspicions are always there. The relationship has been tenuous. And frankly, we've had trade trade negotiations for a very long time that have gotten absolutely nowhere. TTIP was launched more than thirty years on chickens. Yes, but TTIP, which was launched by the Obama administration, in, I think twenty ten, 
is still in its its what's the shape of the table phase for most for practical purposes. Well, all the EU. Um communications directors um, meet here weekly in Washington, the ones who are here in Washington. I've spoken to them. And I, yeah. and I did too. So maybe they're trying to soften us up. Hmm. I thought they were lovely people and I really enjoyed they are, them. So. Machiavelli was a nice guy too, but I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I, before, before my time, believe it or not. But, but, but for the moment, look, just uh, get, get to know some, some new and terrific American whiskeys because your scotch is getting more expensive. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you're, well, I'm an American whiskey guy myself, as you know. Yes. Actually, that raises a very interesting question. If if Brexit occurs and the U.K. is out of the EU, will tariffs on scotch go up? I don't know. They're on the list now. That's all I, I know. Yeah, but yeah. The, U, and the U.K. is in, is in the EU now. It's still in the EU now, so I don't know That's what happens. A, that'll be an interesting question. Brandy's going up. Cognac's going yep. up. Okay. And Wine I have another, may go I have up. another question. As much as I do love my Miller High Life, um, I happen to really love uh, German beers. What's going to happen with that? The price is going up. So this is not the, good. This is well, what I'm saying. Do we need to? Ra- this is, is this unnecessary to ratchet this, this up? This is an incentive for Europe to fix its subsidies problem that have damaged U.S. interests for 30 years. So that's really what this comes down to. They could comply anytime they wanted to, and and if they were to comply with the ruling that was just issued by the, the organization they help create, then there'd be no tariffs. The sad thing about this, I mean, I, I, have, I have very little sympathy for the for the Europeans on this issue. You know, they they decided they were going to build a competitor to Boeing, and they created it with government money, three government monies, and Airbus wouldn't exist if it were not for extraordinary subsidies over. 40 years, all told. In a way, you know, this horse left the barn a long time ago. We can try to get them back on a market structure, but the whole competition has been created through a subsidized enterprise, and I, I, I don't have much sympathy for it. Well, them. yeah, and ultimately, the godfather was right. This is nothing not personal. It's just business. Godfather's always right. Godfather was Italian, too, just like Machiavelli. Remember yeah, that. Well, see? you know, the godfather is always right, as you know. Um, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, until next week, Fredo does sleep with the fishes. We do not. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.